Let me exhort you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Now, we do put these things on the screen, but I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible because in doing so, you'll be able to follow along and kind of get part of what we're doing. I want to encourage you to write in your Bible, make notes in it, put exclamation points or stars or, or NB or note to Bene, different places to say, I want to not forget this because we're walking through a book of the Bible. We're walking through the book of Matthew. We've been doing so now really for months, and we're going to continue to do so today. Now, let me also uh, say thank you to those who are joining us online. Facebook Live actually starts just as the message begins. I want to encourage you, if you're watching via Facebook Live, to like and share even now so that others can follow along and see what's going on as well here at Moody Church. Today, we're going to talk about money and all the people rejoiced. Um, <laughs> you say, why? Why are we going to talk about money today, Ed? Maybe this is the first time you've come to church in 24 years. And now I'm giving you a gift because you can go home today and say, every time I come to church, they're talking about money. <laughs> Maybe 24 years ago when you visited, they were. But the reality is we're going to talk about money today because that's what Jesus talks about while we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about money a lot. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. Why? Because money isn't about money itself. It's about something deeper. God doesn't need your money. This is really key. God doesn't need your money. Actually says this in Psalm chapter 50, beginning at verse 10. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and all its fullness is mine. Think about it logically. If we believe that God created the world, and why in the world would he need anything from you? He doesn't but he wants you. In Psalm 51, verse 16, it says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, or you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now today, I'm going to talk about money because Jesus talks about money. I'm going to talk about generosity, and I'm going to call you to be generous, be prepared. Right? I'm not doing this, though, to line the coffers of the church. I don't get like a bonus or a percent if you give more. I'm not working on commission here at Moody Church. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Some of you do. But I want you to recognize there's a better possession than money. And I want you to see that to do that, you're going to learn to be generous and to give. And we're going to look at three words that begin with the letter L, That'll help us to do that. Location, light, and loyalty. You see, I want you not to miss this throughout the message. You can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. I'm going to look at location, light, and loyalty to see these things. You can follow along on the screen, but also I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Number one is location. Money addresses the heart's location. I can actually look at your bank statement. If I was talking about this 15 years ago, I would say I can look at your checkbook and tell a lot about the location of your loyalty. Now, people don't use checkbook, checkbooks as much anymore. I said to my daughters, uh, uh, mentioned to them a checkbook, and they were like, what, 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 what is this idea? It's just, and I explained to them, it's kind of like a phone book, which is a random listing of people's names and phone numbers. My children are, why would anybody print names and phone numbers in paper and leave it on our door? <laughs> well, the same is true with a checkbook. They may not be familiar with it, but I can tell something about our heart's location based upon the transactions listed on our ATM or our debit card. 
Now, why? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the first part of the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Now, again, treasures on earth would be coins or clothes, right? So people dress nicely when they're affluent. They, they have coins when they're affluent then. And so moth would address the clothes and rust would address the coins. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. And this is interesting because you see, you, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. It says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to ask you to read this part of the passage with me. Would you read it out loud together? Let's say it together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. Where is your heart? And why does it matter? So riches were displayed through clothing and coins, right? Clothing and coins. If you had fine, beautiful clothes, moths could still break in and eat them. And also coins would rust. And a heart that's focused on wealth, I don't want you to miss this, a heart that's focused on wealth can also lead to a life of, of hoarding. And we think of hoarding, there's TV shows, right, about hoarders. And these are people who sort of store everything forever. But the reality is, is most Americans actually have some degree of hoarding in ways that, well, the rest of the world would find kind of odd, right? They need more of this or more of that. There's more money, more access, more influence, more power, more, well, more self-righteousness and more. And the reality is, in the world in which most of us live, we fit the description of being rich in the Bible. Now, now I'm not saying that's true for everyone. I recognize here we have people who have, have um, nothing and people who have much. But for the vast majority of you, we're actually fit the definition of rich in this present age. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, now what I'm saying today is that's probably you compared to the day that Timothy wrote this, or Paul wrote this to Timothy. This is probably you compared to the day Jesus spoke about the rich. Because my guess is, I could be wrong, but my guess is you have something called a home which many people didn't have then. Not everybody does. And, and uh, that home could be a condo or an apartment or a, or, a, or a house or whatever else it may be, but not everybody here even has a place to lay their heads. So I'm not saying this about everybody, but for most of us, we fit the definition of rich in this present age. Now, that's true for most of you, but, but again, not all. And, and, and I would ask you to raise your hands, but I don't want to put anybody on the spot. And, and then the teenagers wouldn't know what to do. They'd say, am I rich in this present age? No, you're basically parasites on your parents. <laughs> Sorry, I have teenage daughters, so I know these things. So, but here's what I want you to see, right? So rich in this present age, charge them. That's what I'm doing right now. Charge them not to be haughty. So I'm actually standing before you and saying for me and for you, the way we're going to avoid being haughty is not to set our hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now, again, where are we going to set them? Well, let's take a look at the next part of the verse. The second part, it says, but on God. So we're going to set our hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now notice, if you're rich, which is 95% of you here would fit the qualification that Paul's referring to in Timothy, because you have things that didn't even exist then, like electricity and, and air conditioners. And some of you actually have little metal boxes with tires that you drive around on. 
And you like those metal boxes with tires so much, you build a separate house for some of you for the very place where you store that metal box with tires. These are concepts or ideas that would be so foreign from the first century when this was written. Now, why does that matter? But again, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy, but our heart's location is changed by focusing on God's treasure. Now, you know, your heart can be connected to your stuff, right? And even if you don't have a lot, it can still be connected to your stuff. Matter of fact, you can dwell on it, you can worry about it, you can have not a lot and still worry. Depends upon what your heart's location is. I'll give you an example. When I was a... uh, a new pastor, I moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, Don and I did, to plant a church among the urban poor in a very economically distressed neighborhood. It was in the middle of the, what was called the crack epidemic of the late 80s and early 90s, made lots of global news. We, we lived in a neighborhood that very quickly was depopulating. The mayor of Buffalo, his name was Jimmy Griffith, he asked me, he said, he called me Eddie for some reason. I never introduced myself as Eddie. Nobody's called me Eddie since my grandmother called me Eddie, and you may not call me Eddie. Uh, but... Jimmy Griffin, somehow, the mayor, I met him, I said, come in, we're going to plant a church in Buffalo. He said, why? His words, why are you moving into the city when everyone else is evacuating the city? And I said, because Jesus wants me to go there. And so we went in there, and so we began to plant this church, and it's called, it's called Calvary Christian Church. It's, it's, 20, it's at 25 Holly Street, if you ever want to visit. Um, and, and, and thank God for what we were able to see the Lord do there. But what I want you not to miss is my, uh, my investment strategy. When we moved there, I saved up every dime that I had, and I found someone willing to carry the mortgage on a house in a distressed neighborhood. And the house had three apartments, and it was a very large house, three apartments, but it was in a distressed, declining neighborhood. There was a, uh, there was a, a shooting just a few doors down. There was uh, a lot of crime and a lot of challenges there. So, but I bought the house, and I bought it for um, what for some will seem like a lot of money, some will seem like not a lot, but I bought it for $70,000. And I, I, I decided to fix it up. I, I, I was a contractor at the time, and so a uh, part-time church planner, a uh, full-time contractor. And so I was... Um, I began to renovate the house. I put $17,000 into the house. And so uh, the house was then worth, in my uh, estimation, $87,000. I had three apartments. I would rent them out, rent them out. Wasn't a lot of rent to be made or had. And so I rented them. But I will tell you, when we moved from Buffalo to plant a church down the road in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, the house would not sell. So I listed it for what it was worth, in my mind, at least $87,000. But here's the bad news. What a house is worth is not determined by you, which is a shame. Um, so uh, so I, I, I set this out, and this is what I wanted for the house, and it appears nobody, matter of fact, nobody would look at the house for that amount. So then I put it up, and I listed it for what I bought it for, and still scoffers and mockers were all about. They said, no, that's far too much. So I was living in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is two hours down the road, and I was constantly worried about my house, about the renters, about, about whether, how, what I could afford, what was going to break me, what was going to keep this. And, 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 so, and I will tell you, it's hard to rent a place when you're constantly lowering, you have, you have a for sale sign out front, and they don't know what's going to happen. So, so I kept lowering the price, but my heart was driven by my concern about this house. And so when I finally sold it two years later for $40,000, two things came to mind. First, you don't want me in charge of your investments. That's what you want to know right now. You don't want me in real estate. You don't want anything related to me in finances. But, but when I did, I mean, obviously, I took a substantial loss, right? I was doing the math every day. I was doing the math, and my heart was in Buffalo while Jesus called me to be in Erie. 
but my heart was where my treasure was. It wasn't a lot of treasure, and it was a rusty and moth-eaten treasure because I saw the value go down and go down and go down. Now, why? Now, again, because what happened is, is my heart was driven by worry over finances, and where your treasure is, don't miss this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And some of you can relate. You might have a little, you might have a lot, but when your heart, and I was a pastor at the time, when your heart is driven by fear over your finances, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is driven by the acquisition of more and more in your finances, when you're not living generously or living below your means, your heart, well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So don't miss this, right? So, so, so this is a, again, this is not an excuse. This is important. It's not an excuse to think that you're not called to provide for your own. See, some people might read this and say, well, I'm going to go to the complete extreme, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to lay up any treasure. I'm not going to have any savings. I want to encourage you that a part of your responsibility for your family, if you have a family, is to uh, save so that you might provide for them for the future. I have, I have three daughters. I have money saved for weddings. They can have a nice wedding, or I'll pay them 50 bucks, and they can elope, and they'll be done. <laughs> and, and again, I'm hoping for the latter, but I'm open for the former. Either one is fine. But you have three daughters. There's something wrong with a society where the dad of the bride pays for the wedding. Somebody shout amen. amen. All right. It's not really in the text. I'm sorry, I got a little distracted there. But I'm back now to the text, right? So, because 1 Timothy 5.8 puts it this way, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, says very, uh, what we call totalizing things, right? If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out, right? So, so Jesus is not literally calling for that. He's actually reminding us with a totalizing term that this is so essential that you need to revolve your life around this truth. And here's one of them, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. Now, how we treat money, it's not our salvation, Jesus is, and the location of our hope should be rooted in Jesus, not your stuff, but your Savior. And this frees us to live freely when we live under our means and to give freely and gener generously out of what God has given us. The second part of the passage, the first part deals with location. The second part deals with light. And here light is, money addresses the heart's illumination. Now, here's what it says here, right? It says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. <clears throat> so, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, actually, there's a play on words in here in the original language. I don't have time to unpack. Um, but let me just say, for, uh, for sake of clarity and simplicity, Warren Wearsby, our uh, former pastor here many years ago, he talked about how the eye in the Bible is often used as the attitude of the mind. You kind of see things with a certain attitude, the attitude of the mind. And here, the, the eye, the attitude of the mind is, in a sense, the lamp to the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full. And it goes on from there. Now, keep in mind, right before and after has to do with treasure. So the context tells us uh, this is about treasure. And the attitude of your mind, your eye, how you see things impacts how you see your treasure. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. So 
We're looking at light, location, and loyalty. And I want you to miss this because it appears our heart's illumination is, by default, skewed and darkened. We are born with an eye for earthly possessions. The eye guides your life. The richer you are, however, statistically, you often are less happy. Now, you see, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? So, so when we actually do surveys, what we find is, is that people who have more tend to be less happy than people who have less. I know some of you are like, let me try. <laughs> I could be the exception to that. Show me the money. Um, now, I get it, but, but here's a recent article in Time Magazine. Let me just read it to you. It says, um, perhaps the old adage, money can't buy happiness, has more truth than we think. That's because there are many studies that point to the conclusion that wealth and happiness are not positively correlated. That's a technical way of saying that more money doesn't make you more happy. This is according to Harvard Business Review. One reason, for instance, is that wealth, wealth, wealth appears to make people less generous. In a study by researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, participants playing a game of Monopoly drew progressively meaner as their wealth grew. Now, it's interesting. I play Monopoly. I play Monopoly with my kids, and they turn into very mean people <laughs> when I land on boardwalk and I don't have the money to pay them. But it says, by taking down their poorer competitors and assuming more dominant positions, more egregiously, they also consumed a larger portion of the bowl of pretzels meant to be shared equally in the study. It goes on. Similarly, another study found that when participants were given $10, told they could contribute some or all of it to another person, the wealthier people actually contributed 44% less. And rich people give less proportionally of their income to philanthropic causes. Why? Well, here's why. Because ultimately, the eye is the lamp of the body. The, how we see things, and some have an eye for possessions more and more, and some have an eye for the things of God. What we want often can kill us, right? Being driven by this financial agenda, and sin here is the root of the problem, not the money. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. That's a misquote of the passage. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So we got to see the darkened eye is an eye that has an eye solely for the money, whereas an enlightened or an illuminated eye has an eye or a state of mind geared towards the things of God. Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Our heart is illuminated by Christ's light. Otherwise, it's a darkness that actually consumes us, and greed is a darkness that consumes us that is broken by the heart of generosity. Contentment is key to this, right? Living in contentment. I've actually said to you, you may have heard me earlier say it, that there's going to be two keys for you. One is living under your means. Not at your means, but living under your means gives you freedom to save. Save for the future in a way that's God-honoring. Gives you money to give so that you can be outrageously generous and more. But contentment has to be rooted in the bigger picture. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, 6 through 8. It says, Now there's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be contentment. Content, in other words, you know, food and clothing are kind of a snare and a danger. Right? Let's keep going in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9 and 10. It's lengthy, but it's worth our time. It says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Your eye has an eye for the love of money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and don't miss this, and pierce themselves with money, many pangs. You say, Ed, is it hard to preach on money? No, it's actually not for me because I want you to avoid you piercing yourself with many pangs. A lot of difficult times people go through when they live above their means and when they don't live lives that are generous. Now, you remember we did a series not that long ago. Um, I guess it was actually. I mean, it's, it's uh, about six months ago we did a series on the road to financial freedom. And we talked about that some. And when you're a, uh, consumed and worried about things, you're, you're living in a spiritual darkness. And we talked about instead how to get to financial freedom. You can find these online. You can search by series at uh, moodychurch.org. Uh, but the reality is you sort of feel sometimes you want what's yours. You want it now. You want to keep it. You don't want anyone else to have it. I gave you lots of examples last time uh, about it, right? If you remember, a lot of the examples were driven by, well, basically, you wanted your own box of Cheez-Its. Remember that? <laughs> That's Jacqueline, my daughter. And again, don't send me letters. They give me permission to use them as examples. This one's costing me 15 bucks, though, just so you know. But this is Jacqueline, right? And, and so, so she wanted her own box of Jesus, right? So I, I, I had, Jesus are not expensive. She, she, she saw that I ate the Jesus, she picked it up and she said, my Jesus. And I said, I said, Jacqueline, listen. And I couldn't, I mean, this is the face I got. I said, Jacqueline, listen, I can buy more Jesus. This is not a hard purchase. Jesus are not made of gold, right? I can buy, I can build, I can fill this room with boxes of Jesus. I can build our house from boxes. I am the Lord of the Jesus. <laughs> She's since grown up and she continues to make me nervous. I just took her out for her first drive on the interstate like this past week and I'm still traumatized uh, by that. Uh, like, oh, Dad, I'm fine. It's not, I'm fine. There was fear and crying, but that was me. And once we got through that, it was okay. See, remember the illustration, though. The illustration was that, that we get focused on things that our Father, remember my daughter, our Father can provide our needs according to His riches and glory. But when we sort of shape our lives around the pursuit of these things, we get confused because they're not, they're not that big of a deal to our Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, you can, it appears, send it on ahead. But the question is, will we be driven by the pursuit of those things? I mean, that's the real issue. For me, I just don't live that way. So let's keep moving on through the message. I am the Lord of the Jesus. But here's the deal. Money is a really bad master. It really is. And, and when we think of money, and we're going to talk about this in the last point, when we think of money and it masters us rather than us mastering it, it's a really bad master. Let's go to number three. Number one is location. Number two is light. Number three is loyalty. Here, money addresses the heart's loyalty. It addresses the heart's loyalty. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. Now listen to what it says. It says, no one, this is the next part of the verse, no one can serve two masters. Now don't miss this. There's a clear implication 
that you're going to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Some of you are recognizing the great words of the poet, Bob Dylan. You're going to have to serve somebody. He goes on to say, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, this is where he's taking that from. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Older translations would say mammon. See, our heart's loyalty is actually to our stuff. We have an eye for our stuff more than we have an eye for our Savior. And thus, we present ourselves, because our eye is that lamp to the body, we present our bodies as slaves or servants to our possessions, to our stuff, rather than our Savior. Romans 6, 16 gives us a better way. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone, we might add anything, as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey. And for many people, they are slaves to acquisition, or they are slaves to their debt. The Bible actually says that the borrower is, is a slave uh, to the one who borrows from. It says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. We are naturally enslaved to money, wealth, success, and their counterparts, whether we have a little or a lot, when the eye or the attitude of our mind is set on them, we have an eye for our stuff and not our Savior. And money is a really bad master. Because money never lets you go. There's never enough. Talk to anybody. Say, how much money is enough? It's just a little bit more. Talk to the richest people. How much is enough? Just a, a little bit more. Money is a bad master. It draws you to more. And materialism always conflicts with God's agenda. If you focus on the provision, you actually lose your focus on the provider. So I want to miss this, right? So one of the things sometimes I'll do, and I, I'll, I'll actually take out, I, I love to post because I love Moody Church, and I'll, I'll take a picture, and, and one of the things I'll do is I'll just kind of, right, right now I'm about to take a picture, I'm going to post it on Facebook, right? So here you're going to be on Facebook unless you jump, jump, duck right now because you're in the witness protection program. So go ahead. Um, I actually saw two of you in the program, so that's all good, make sure. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's, I love to post because I love being here, and I love what God is doing uh, at Moody Church. I, 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 I love the reality of uh, who we are and what we're doing and where ultimately uh, we're going. But you know what's fascinating is what happens is if I take a picture, right, and Pastor Bill's right here in the front, and if I focus in on Pastor Bill, which I know what you're thinking, don't, but if I focus in on Pastor Bill right now, right now, I, all I see, <laughs> if I focus in on any person in the congregation, what happens is the people behind that person. So those of you up there in the nosebleed seats, I actually, you are out of focus when I focus down here. You see, here's the reality. When you focus on the, uh, the, the possessions, when you focus on the provision, and you're not focusing in on the provider, one of them gets blurry. You know, at the end of the service, we're going to sing a song. It's the song where I actually trusted Christ in hearing this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful place. And don't miss this, the next line. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It's like a camera. When you're focused on the provider, then what happens is the things of earth, your, your focus is on who God is, then the provision is part of trusting Christ, not your focus. Our heart is freed to a new loyalty 
in Christ. But many, money for all of us can be either a tool or a master. Use money as a tool for your sanctification rather than allowing money to be the master of your enslavement leading to death. How? Well, remember, you have been rich because somebody else was made poor. Don't miss this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Everything you have is a gift from God to us. Now, why does this matter? Because we're talking about three things, right? We've talked about location, light, and loyalty. You say, Ed, how can I focus my lens, the lens of my eye, on the provider rather than the uh, uh, provision? Well, see, your heart's location is key, right? It was once temporal, but now in Christ, it's in the eternal because of Jesus' gift. You see, your heart's light was once in darkness, but now in the light because of Jesus' gift. Your heart's loyalty was once against God, but now with God in truth because of Jesus' gift. So how can I learn to be generous and not be enslaved to money? It's by looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and in looking to Him, doing what He says. And he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, if you have been given this great gift, how should your money reflect that? Well, we can be generous. We can be generous because we've, we are given the riches of Christ to which we were undeserving. Thus, you see, you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't give all the details here, and, and I don't know that Jesus intends for us to think on the detail. What does it mean, send it on ahead? Will I have a, will I have a bigger mansion? Will I have a pool? Will there be one of those swirly swim, slides in the pool? You know, here's the deal. When you get to heaven, you're not going to care about any of that. You're going to be bowing down before King Jesus for all time, singing, Thou art worthy. But there's something that Jesus is telling us here. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. He says, send it on ahead. Now, how can you do that? Well, let me, let me give an example. Coming out of the stewardship series, many of you began. We actually saw many of you report on the survey. We followed up on the, in a survey. And for many of you, not a few, but many of you indicated that you began to step out in faith and to give proportionally. Some of you began to tithe, and, and some of you began to give beyond the tithe. And in doing so, we actually saw, you, you reported, I don't look at the giving records, so I don't know what you give, but we, we saw from your survey that you were responding that you're now giving more faithfully. And I want to encourage you to, for some of you, maybe you wanted to do that coming out of the stewardship series, but you didn't. And I want to encourage you, what a great day to start that now. Here are the words of Jesus who says, well, in essence, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And if that's the case, let's do that. Let's do that which maybe you wanted to do, but had not give to the church. This is the church is where I give my tithe and beyond so that I can support the work of God here. Give to the poor. I think that's a, a thing we can't miss through the life of Jesus. There's different ways to do that. I, I want my children to think about how we give to the poor. We, we support, for example, a, one of many things, but a, a child through compassion. We adopt a child through compassion. And we just got the letter from her and gave it to my daughters, and she writes to us, and we write to her, and then we give, and I want my daughters to write those letters. Here's why. I want them to know that we care, and this is just one way we care, for the poor. That honors and it releases to others as well. Give to others. 
Give to others is a key thing. When you live under your means, you have the opportunity to ultimately give to others in ways that you might not otherwise have. This will remind you of God's gift to you in Christ and more. Now, this will help you loosen your grip on money. Here's the deal. Money gets a grip on us sometimes because we get too tight of a grip on money, and we miss that Jesus is the true provider of all things. Jesus is a better possession who is infinitely valuable, yet was voluntarily destroyed so that you can take on His value and possess Him. I want you to miss that. So you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. I mentioned I went from Buffalo to that church in Erie, and one of the ways the Lord sort of pried my fear out of my heart was I realized that you can't take it with you, but you can, it appears, send it on ahead. I pastored a church. We started a church, obtained a building, and in that building, my office faced across the street. There was a highway there called Staratania Road. It was 832, a state highway. And right across the state highway from our church building, where my office faced, was actually a cemetery. And I'd watch car after car drive by that highway all day. They're all going 50 miles an hour. And then, three times a day, it seemed like, there'd be a slow processional. And I could, you know, when you see cars zipping by, you just get used to it. But then you notice a slow processional with flags and lights, and it was a, it was a funeral. And I'd watch, and I, I will tell you, so I probably have seen, I don't know, thousands of processionals over the five years I was there, thousands of processionals go by on the way to a funeral. And so I'm an expert at observing processionals. Here's what I found. Never of the thousands that I've seen have I seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Never. <laughs> See, here's the deal. You can't take it with you. Never. Thousands of them. But you can send it on ahead. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, but I've also never seen a generous Christian without joy. I want you not to miss that. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, but I've also never seen a generous Christian without joy in her or his life. So my encouragement to you is to put a focus on Christ and to live generously. Maybe, maybe in the beginning of the year you wanted to step out in that and you, and you wanted to live more generously, live under your means and live generously. Maybe you didn't. Can I encourage you? This is a great day to re-up that path, that journey. Maybe this is the first time you've considered it. You want to break the enslavement of money in your life? Be generous. It changes everything. How do you get generous? Well, the song tells us, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That light of the eye, that mindset, your eye will not be driven by possessions, but ultimately will be focused on the provider. Would you stand with me? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand together, we come before you this day, and for some of us, we've got some business to do in relationship to this message. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed today all across this beautiful sanctuary, can I ask you right now to ask how the Lord's speaking to you through this message? Maybe like me, you lost a lot of money, you just haven't gotten over it, but here's the deal. You have Jesus, and He's enough. Maybe you find yourself sort of enslaved to debt. And you got to go back and watch our series from January. Maybe you've been a slave to debt. And how do I get out of this? Will you turn your eyes upon Jesus and begin to live differently? I don't know what it is for you, but just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, could you just respond to how the Lord's speaking to your heart today? Just take just a moment.
Maybe you're really stuck living above your means every day, worried about your finances, worried about your possessions. You've lost focus on the provider. I want to ask you right now to say, Jesus, help me. Help me to turn my eyes to you, to turn my eyes upon Jesus. And then under his guidance and direction, in accordance with his word, to work to change my financial situation so I too can be generous. Maybe you're just afraid to let go of anything that you have. But God in his goodness and his grace, he's the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's calling you to not store up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's going to be treasures on earth, but in heaven. So let me remind you again. You see, you can't take it with you. But you can, it appears in some way, send it on ahead. So as we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, I want you to do that. We're not just going to sing that. We're also going to sing about provision. But I want you to turn your eyes upon him. And as you do, ask the question, how does that impact your giving? How does that impact your generosity day to day? Would you sing with us, turn your eyes upon Jesus?